This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello everybody and welcome to the Super Jcast, I'm Joel. This week, uh, not joined by Damon, Damon's on a short hiatus for family reasons. I am joined this week by the great Booze Leprechaun again. Booze, how are you? We're talking about the fightings, Joel. The fightings. Said. Said. Had to get that uh, baseball deal in. Because I'm enjoying life right now on the sports side, so. All good. Yeah, what, what's going on in your sports side? Oh, so so the Phillies managed to weasel their way into the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs because this year Major League Baseball put in an extra wild card slot. So, and they actually secured their slot for the playoffs in Houston. So, I actually managed to be at that game where they did it. So, I was already in a pretty good mood, and they're one game away from knocking the Braves out of the playoffs, which. Uh, Will even put me in a uh, bigger mood. So good stuff all the way around. The Eagles are winning. Um, the Penguins won uh, to uh, they destroy the Coyotes in hockey. So uh, I, it's uh, it's all coming up uh, roses right now for booze uh, and Joel as well. I mean, lest we forget, Arsenal sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League, beating Tottenham, beating Liverpool, a point above the machine that is Man City. Who knows? Who knows? We might even stay there. This could be our year, booze. This could be the year that all the sports turns good. Oh, excellent. I still have Charlton to uh, Charlton Athletic, not Chris Charlton, to uh, disappoint me, though. So I, I do have that that little thing dr- dragging me back down to, to sports earth from sports heaven. But very nice about Arsenal. I was not, I was not aware that you guys were at the uh, at the top of the table. So that's great. Uh, I will actually bring the mood down as far as sports go because I don't get to have these conversations very often with you. Sumo. Yes. That is, I think, a sport where it's not all sunshine and roses at the moment. Let's let's have a State of the Union address from you, Booze, on the state of sumo at the moment because like, since I've started being a fan, I mean, old man Tamawashi winning one new show could be considered unfortunate. Winning two of them to me, suggests that something is uh, deeply wrong with this sport. As much as I love Tamawashi, that shouldn't be happening, should it? No, it it shouldn't. And I think Tamawashi, with his second new show, um, became the oldest guy to win a new show. I think he's like 37. 30. I mean, to, to just give a, a New Japan analogy, this would be like what New Japan put in the top belt on like Satoshi Kojima or something like that. Yeah, or, or, or Makabe. But yeah, all of a sudden waking up one morning and finding out that one of the dads is 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 your champion again. I just... Oh, What's going wrong? It's... We're, we're just in this weird interregnum where and we can kind of circle it back around to to new japan and that and we're going to be talking about it a lot today as we've talked about it feels like forever right now is the idea of, of getting fresh blood and that fresh blood performing and living up to expectations 
And in sumo, we have this, this class of Ozekis that is doing everything but living up to expectations. So I've been following sumo since 2015, and this current crop of Ozekis is the talk shit worse group that I've had the misery of having to watch over 15 days, um, six times a year. And, and I love Miktakiyumi, and we've talked about it before um, when we've gotten together about my love for Miktakiyumi, and I always thought it was going to be an Ozeki, and early on it was like, oh, well, maybe he could be a Yokozuna in that, that, that far away dream. And uh, it's, it's, it's all gone horribly wrong for everybody. Shodai is a yo-yo, and I'm, I've always been very vocal on Twitter on my opinions of Shodai from like Jump Street and how I never thought he should be an Ozeki. And he's kind of proven me right. Um, More like Shopai, am I yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got Mitakiyumi, who I know had a, a pretty gnarly bout of COVID. He was actually kind of patient zero for this, um, for a massive run of COVID that had gone through the entire um, sumo system a few months ago. And so, and there's clearly some lingering injuries with him along with whatever um, physical, you know, conditioning um, he's lost um, from his, his, his bout of COVID. So, but even before that, you know, just kind of up and down and now he's a, a Sekiwaki and he's got an opportunity to regain his Ozeki status next basho if he wins 10 in a row, or at least 10, I should say, doesn't have to be in a row. Um, and I'm not, at the moment, feeling fairly confident that that's going to happen. And then there's Takakesho, who I don't know what's going on with him. He, It's, again, a mix of injuries, and I'm not sure if his head's in the right space and it's just because with Terano Fuji and his Naito knees, um, that you know a guy like Takakesho should be racking up a few more U shows, and he's not. He's not taking advantage. None of them are. And then the rest of Sanyaku is kind of getting interesting a little bit. There, there's a couple guys that we can look at and go, ooh, maybe like Wakatakakagi um, and uh, Hoshoryu. So there's there's maybe some bright spots um, a few months, maybe a year or so down the line. But like right now, it's just dire. And I, we, we, we've talked previously about how long we think Terra Fuji is going to last. And I, I, I think I'm going to be vindicated in that, in him not making it past 2024 as a, as a Yokozuna with the state of his knees. Which is kind of sad because there's. Is there anyone in the current? Yeah. No, no. Ask your question. I, I think I see. I think I see where you're going with that question. Oh, I was going to say, is there anyone in the current? Uh, anyone in the current crop of Sanjaku or, or uh, otherwise, just the whole? Uh, I forgot the word now. What's, what's the word? Uh, uh, Magashira. Yeah. Uh, that you think we should be investing stonks in for future Yokozuna material. <sighs> Maybe Wakatakakagi. Maybe. 
And I, I would not be buying a lot of stonks. You know, maybe just kind of get your foot foot in the door with, with with a couple of them, but not don't put all your money in Wakatagi Wakakaka Taga Kagi stonks. I just butchered that horrifically. No, I I, I wanted to stay at Sekiwake because I like saying Sekiwake Wakataka Kage. Yeah. Yokozuna Wakataka Kage doesn't roll off the tongue as much. No, no, no. Um, you know, not Tobizaru. I, I love Tobizaru, but I don't see Yokozuna in him. Um, but that's really it. There's there's a couple of young guys that maybe could be something, but it's way too early to to even like put that um that yoke around their neck and saddle them with that that expectation of being the next Yokozuna. Well, I wholeheartedly agree that is a division that is desperately in need of an injection of fresh blood. And speaking of fresh blood, Booze, have you heard the rumours that HelloFresh put fresh blood in all of their recipes? I had not heard that rumour. No, because it's not true. They don't. They put delicious things in their recipes. So uh, with HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. No blood in them. Not true. Uh, You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You can subscribe to HelloFresh and check save money off your fall or autumn to-do list. HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeaway, less expensive than grocery shopping too. With HelloFresh ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in less than seven days, so you know they're fresh. Plus pre-portioned ingredients make cooking a snap and cut down on food waste. I'd like to share my personal uh, endorsement, my personal experience using HelloFresh, using some anecdotes from my own experiences with HelloFresh. Uh, HelloFresh saves me lots of time. My favorite HelloFresh recipes are the chicken. Chicken was great. Makes cooking very easy and fast. Who do I cook HelloFresh with? Um, Arthur. He, he helps me chop up the vegetables. So that is my personal experience with HelloFresh. Really good. And go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW65 and use code VOW65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That is HelloFresh.com slash VOW65. Use code VOW65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Oh, see, David makes it look easy. I'm sweating here. That was that was hard work, booze. Oh, uh, imagine the look on my face when Damon tried to get me to do the ad read off the cuff last time we were together. Oh, I should have got you to do it. I should have done that again. Mr. Trick there. Uh, no, no, that, that, that's all right. That's <sighs> all right. Anyway, let us uh, move on to talking about some New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, bit of unfortunate news to start with. Very, very tragic. The sudden death of Katsuya Kitamura, who's aged only 36. So he was the 2017 Wrestling Observer Rookie of the Year, won the Young Line Cup that year. Wrestled his last match for New Japan in early 2018 before suffering a severe concussion, then apparently a serious leg injury from a scooter accident, and then subsequently just couldn't get cleared due to heart issues, which... Apparently, uh, according to the Observer, company officials believe it was due to steroid use. So really just terrible news. Like such a young age and a guy that most of us, I think all of us, New Japan fans, when we first saw him, we we're like, wow, you know, this is a guy that they should be strapping the rocket to. 
And when we watched him in that best of seven series he had, that final match he had with Yuji Nagata, everyone was so excited about him. And just a, a, a heartbreaking end to the, the story of Katsuya Kitamura. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's always it's always a shame when you lose somebody, and especially at that age, um, you know, because that that whole oh, you've got your whole life ahead of you, and then you know, you wake up one morning and you find out that that person's life is not ahead of them anymore. Um, and it's so it's it's sad, and yeah, it's and going through the the questions that we got this week. Um, a lot of it was not questions. It was just people kind of just sharing their, you know, condolences to his family and friends and, you know, and just kind of. Yeah. Sorry. I'll just, I'll read some of them actually now that you've mentioned it. So Louis says, uh, Bob and news on Kitamura. I remember how much I thought he'd be a big time player on New Japan. Loved his look, his physique. The guy had it all. Shame we couldn't see more of him after he departed from the company. Uh, Guffney says, no question. Just rest in peace, Kitamura. Hope all is well with Damon. And uh, Ultimate Wrestling Trivia says, condolences to the family, friends and fans of Kitamura. I always enjoyed his young line matches. He obviously showed the potential of remembering during his match versus Nagata during his seven-match trial. Godspeed. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not like this guy had any like massively stand-up matches where you're like, wow, you know, this is going to the note, but this is a, a match of the year candidate because he was too early on in his career for that. But there was enough uh, promise there and, and hope for the future that people were really excited about him. Yeah, and I, I think it's also somewhat emblematic of the what's the word I'm trying to look for? The impact he made within the company. And that obviously with, with dojo mates such as Hinari and Great Okan, especially Okan, um, who's clearly not taking this well, which is understandable. But then on the flip side, you know, the the Shinnehan freaks in our Discord were all you know, as they were offering their, their condolences as well within the server, they're like, oh, well, maybe they'll do something on the, the second night of Battle Autumn to commemorate uh, Kitamura, you know, and they were expecting kind of something of some some acknowledgement of his passing and him having been part of the company. And then that first show, the only time that Kitamura came up on at least English comms was when Hinari and Okan did those those entrance um, tributes to Kitamura, and then that was it. That was that. That's that's as much as he'd been mentioned. Now I didn't watch all of today's show, so maybe there was a little more talk about Kitamura because the Kitamura new- news came out fairly close to uh, yesterday's show starting. So maybe it could have been just a matter of not having time to really process it and to to be able to say something. But it just it just didn't feel like, at least within the company on the English side, that his time with his time with new Japan and made much of an impact to really kind of touch upon it and discuss it. Not that I'm putting him on, on the level of Inoki, obviously, but just in terms of that almost being like a, a non entity within the discussion of, of the company. Yeah. I mean, obviously Inoki was uh, a, an old man, you know, he lived his whole life and very, by all accounts, successful life, but just, you know, someone dying at the age of 36 is just absolutely devastating. And, and I'm sure uh, all the people that he's left behind, I mean, the great O'Connor tributes, as you mentioned, they were really difficult to watch. Like he couldn't even get through his promo and he was sort of really struggling to maintain the balance between 
the great Okan gimmick character and, and Tomoyuki Oka, who obviously he, he felt like he wanted to say something about it. So I think, you know, that tells you all you need to know about how uh, Kitamura was viewed as a person when you have these, you know, these, these touching personal tributes from people that actually knew the guy. So yeah, it's a terrible loss. I mean, putting to one side the fact that he was a New Japan wrestler and we were all excited about him and we thought he had great potential. Just anyone at the age of 36 dying is just a, a horrible, horrible thing. So yeah, uh, condolences, thoughts, prayers to, to his family. Terrible news. Um, let's move on then to talk about the Good Brothers. So Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows, who surprised all of us, I think, by uh, popping up on WWE Raw last week. So there's a lot of speculation about what this means. I mean, I think the most likely outcome here is that he works the remainder of his New Japan dates, which I'm assuming is going to be the Hikaleo never title defense. And there may be one more match. I assume he's going to retain that and have another match at the Tokyo Dome, maybe against Tamatonga, maybe he drops the belt there. And then he goes to WWE full time. But I mean, either of those scenarios, am I crazy for thinking that's a win? <laughs> this is great. This is exactly what we wanted, isn't it? We get rid of these guys. Yeah. I mean, is, is anyone really crying over the loss of the good brothers? I, I I know I'm not, but I thought that was pretty. Um, th- that's just another kind of win for the Super J cast, where you you know you sent that tweet out, you know, asking Hunter if he would be interested in the Good Brothers, and what like 48 hours later, they're showing up on Raw. Yeah, I mean, any excuse for me to take a victory lap, I'll, I'll have that. Uh, we have a question here from Flynn. It says, can Carl Anderson's never title reign be declared as non-canon? We pretend Tamatonga never lost it. It's not a Good Brothers being carnies, which is annoying. It's much more annoying New Japan took a singles title of their top new baby face on zero defences to put it on that has-been. I mean, yeah, that, that that's the issue here. I mean, I've told the, the story of the Scorpion of the Frog many times on the show, and this is what you get with Carl Anderson. So uh, no one's going to act surprised. Like, oh, I can't believe Carl did this. He was always going to do this. As soon as WWE came sniffing around, he was going to go back. He's a guy that follows the money. But I think it's just funny looking back at that Tanahashi match. And everyone was thinking, what? what is up with him? You know, we were expecting the, the whole Carl Anderson gimmick is a guy who can pull it out and deliver a, a quality match where the bright lights are on. But he just absolutely phoned it in then. And in retrospect, now we know why. And, you know, so a lot of people are saying, oh, he didn't want to get injured for his return to WWE. I don't think it's that. I think he was just trying to get himself back into the, you know, the WWE Monday Night Raw house style of delivering 10-minute absolute nothing matches that everyone immediately forgets as soon as they're done. Yeah, I mean, the the greatest lie the devil ever told was that Carl Anderson would do something spectacular in this supposed second run with New Japan. It does piss me off that they, you know, they they put they let Tamatonga lose to him when Tamatonga was like red hot as a babyface, and that they give him a a win over Tanahashi. And I know you know Tanahashi wins are not as valuable as they used to be, but it still kind of irks me a little bit. And the fact that Hikolo is probably going to lose to him as well. And I mean, he he phoned it in. He like he absolutely dogged it in that Tanahashi match. So if we're giving him a match at the Tokyo Dome which I don't know if you feel the same, that that's the, the likely outcome. But, you know, what's to make him put in any more effort then? Like, if he's giving this match to the Tokyo Dome, I'm expecting, you know, like another eight-minute nothing match. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think we're seeing uh, Anderson at the Dome. Um, my my recommendation for getting something more than an eight-minute dog shit match is, 
you can probably get a different outcome if you put in a couple extra zeros in that check. Because he is clearly um, yeah. is all about the money. So just throw th- <laughs> yeah. throw, throw an extra zero in. Okay, Carl. Yeah. If you if you manage to get a uh, four stars from Dave, then we'll <laughs> we'll triple whatever we're paying you. Here. Exactly. Um, and it and it also might be you, you could go, hey, you, we're we're letting we we let you show up on Raw, and well, on the flip side, it's 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 that age old issue of New Japan not locking guys down to contracts, because I'm presuming that the Good Brothers were on a paper appearance deal, not an actual sign the dotted line contract. If they're working, you know, New Japan one week and then less than a week later or whatever, they're popping up on Raw. It's because they don't have a contract. There's nothing for them to violate. So yeah, if you're going to be dumb enough to put a belt on a guy that you don't have in your complete and total control, this is what happens. Yeah, I think that's the main thing I'm irritated about. I've, I've absolutely no ill will towards Anderson and Gallows because I would do the same thing if I was in their situation. I just object to the way New Japan abuses this Never title and so much so that they've ended up creating a new title which is basically doing what the Never title was supposed to be doing. So, I mean, we'll talk about that one later, but uh, there we go. That's uh, Carl Anderson and Dot Gallows for us. Uh, other bit of news here, Clark Connors said he's ready to return. He wants to face Minoru Suzuki. Uh, I'll be pleased to see Clark Connors back. You? Yeah, it's, you know, fresh blood. We haven't seen him in a while. Um, I was not, I'm not as high on Clark as some people are. My my stonks are not at the level that other people have Clark Connor stonk, stonks at. But it, it'll be good to see. Um, you know, hopefully we would get something out of this Suzuki match than the typical um, North American Suzuki matches that we're getting right now i'd like to see something that's you know a little bit outside of the box for suzuki we probably won't see it but i'm sure it'll be a fine match and clark will get you know beaten 10 shades of of red and suzuki will make some funny faces and we're all going to get all excited because ooh suzuki and you know everyone's going to have a good time yeah, I think the as long as it's better than the killer cross match, <laughs> he's just no sold all his attacks, laughed in his face and called him a fucking young boy. As long as he doesn't do that, then I, I, I count that as a win for Clark. Uh, okay, and the last bit of news here, I could not ignore this one, Booze. I, presumably you've seen this one. So this is uh, Chris Charlton tweeted out, live concert venues in Japan allowing full capacity with vocal crowds if they are vocal for a maximum of 25% of each song. Uh, is that or is that not like the most... Japanese thing you've ever heard pretty much but here's where but but you could have fun with it you know you know just decide all of a sudden you're you're going to become a yes cover band and do all their long you know 10 plus minute song epics or you know do you know the lamb lies down on Broadway by Genesis you know, or Foxtrot or something like that. Some song that just is insanely long. So you can get more 25% time of, of chanting per song. Just, just game, just How game would the you system. Distribute 25, if, if, if we're applying the same logic to a new Japan show, 
and let's say they said, right, you could have 25% of Wrestle Kingdom cheering aloud. Do you have it certain matches allocated with the cheering or do you have 25% of each match? So there's like some kind of signal the you know, timekeeper rings the bell that everyone's allowed to cheer for the closing stretch of each match. Exactly. They can cheer for the closing stretch and they can cheer during the entrances. Which is pretty much what they do anyway. Yeah. I think that's good news. That's a win. Okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to talking about declaration of power then. So whilst I uh, bring up the results, which I should have done before, but I'm very disorganized. Uh, here we go. Here's a declaration of power was Monday, October 10th at the Ryogoku Kokukikan. Uh, let's go reverse order here. So the main event was the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match with Jay White defeating the challenger Tamatonga in 31 minutes, seven seconds with a Blade Runner. So I'm, I'm torn on this one because love Tamatonga and I've been a, a huge fan of his basically since last year's G1 where I could sense something had changed in him and he was taking a lot of pride in his work and really starting to live up to that promise that he showed like five years ago as a single star. And now it's undeniable how hot he is, how over he is with the Japanese fans and even abroad as well. From what I understood, Royal Quest, he was very popular as well. So this is a guy who has achieved what I think a lot of people didn't think he could do. And he's got himself over as a baby face. I think there's, you know, legitimate potential there. And I thought he performed really well in this. Like they got me with one near fall at the end when he, he popped up with the, uh, the stun gun. And I just thought just for a split second, oh, he's going to get him there, but obviously not. But I, I'm trying to reconcile my love for Tabatonga. And I thought he put a good performance here with, the fact that this spot, this uh, October show where you have the champion defending against someone who's beating them in the G1, it's a dead spot, right? No one ever buys that they're going to lose the title there, especially not against a guy who, with all the love of the world, Tamatonga, he's not Wrestle Kingdom main event material. So I don't think anyone believed that Tamatonga was going to win this match. And with that being known going into it, like, why are we doing 31 minutes? You know, could have been... We could have shaved 10 minutes off of this and just, you know, done it as a sprint and had a bit of excitement to it rather than doing the standard, you know, 30 minutes plus Jay White main event style match. I just, I feel that they they kind of dragged this one out too long just for the sake of it being a main event and it kind of killed the drama. Yeah, I I, I liked the match. I think the G1 match was better. I think in part because it was a sprint. Um but also at the same time, G1's got that built-in time constraint. So to a degree, it, it at a certain point, it has to become a sprint, at least within kayfabe, if you don't want to to go as a, t- as a draw. So there's that. Um, lengthwise, overall, yeah, it's a typical New Japan main event. So while it would have been nice to be at that that 20, 21, 22 minute time frame, uh, we all knew it probably wasn't going to end up like that. I, I was fine with it overall. Yes, Tama is is a baby face, incredibly hot. Uh, I don't know if I would call him a fresh baby face. I, I guess technically he's a fresh baby face, but it's kind of hard to say that of a guy that's in his late 30s. It's just weird saying that. Um, and that's no slight to Tamatanga because I can't wait for when he delivers some go-home speech in Japanese 
preferably in front of a um, a crowd that can cheer, because I think that place will go will will go molten if he was to do that. That that's how much I think he's over with the domestic crowd. And Gorilla's Destiny has always been over in the West. It's just annoyed people previously because they were heels. I always go back to that Gorilla's Destiny Fin Juice match at that Atlanta show in um, 2019, I think it was, when um, Fin Juice had the, had the belts and then promptly dropped it to G.O.D. at that Atlanta show. And if you go back and watch that, in those entrances, G.O.D. is clearly over in that match and got the biggest reaction. Finley got, in relation, nothing. And Atlanta's his hometown. And then Juice got somewhere in the middle between Finley and Good Brothers in terms of, of reaction. So... It's nice to, to to finally see people that the last couple, the last year or so since this this slow turn has been happening with Tama and been like, and been basically shitting on all the Shinny Han freaks that have been watching during the entirety of the pandemic and going, no, Tama's actually kind of good now, and it's it's actually worth watching. And all those people going, ah, no, you're you're just drinking the Kool Aid, to finally seeing those reactions coming out of Royal Quest of guys having to eat a lot of crow and admit that oh okay yeah tama tama is over as a baby face are bad so i'm going to use this to throw in a couple of questions actually about bullet club as a whole because now we've got the wrestle kingdom main event it's official so it's going to be jay white defending against kazuchika okada so uh, before i get into the bullet club stuff boost how how are you feeling about jay versus okada as the main I'm fine. I'm not sure what other options you're gonna have. What 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 else? What other option is there at the moment? There's there's no way for for Naito to weasel his way into the main event. It's not gonna be Tanahashi. Will's got the U.S. belt right now, so he's not an option. Shingo is in this weird kink thing with ELP about daddy. So he's not an option to, to somehow find a way to insert into the main event. And outside of those guys, who else on the roster is even a credible option to main event Wrestle Kingdom? Right? Right. Wait- you're right. There, there isn't anyone else. But does Jay versus Okada excite you? Is that something you know you're rubbing your hands together? Oh, I can't wait for this one. No, not because personally, I look at that main event, and just as we went into the main event of Declaration of Power, going, this is going to be a, a very nice match, but Jay Jay's going to win unless something catastrophic happens, and they just have to put the belt on Tama like an injury was to occur. I feel very similar with this Wrestle Kingdom main event in that Okada's going to win. And I felt fairly confident that Okada was going to win. And then Inoki passed away. And they said that Wrestle Kingdom was going to be presented in memory of Inoki. And now I am a hundred plus percent sure that Okada, whose entire deal this year has been basically channeling the spirit of Inoki, 
is going to come out of there with the belt. Yeah, I totally agree. Like that, Wrestle Kingdom will be an Inoki tribute show. So there's no way in hell that a card is <laughs> isolate this audio, play it after Jay gets the upset win at Wrestle Kingdom. But yeah, it, with the Super J cast gun to my head, Okada's winning that match. Now, the Okada versus Jay doesn't excite me. I don't think it's a particularly sexy matchup for Wrestle Kingdom main event. But again, agree with you, there wasn't any other option. Now, this could be interesting, depending on what they do with it afterwards. So I'll throw in the questions here. So uh, Multiverse Ace says, how much will the Good Brothers departure change the Bullet Club Civil War story? Uh, will you miss them at all? I certainly would be sad not seeing low effort Carl or Gallows in New Japan or, frankly, Impact or AEW ring for the foreseeable future. And then another question about the Bullet Club. So Chris Hughes says, what are the odds of Bullet Club fizzling out before the Bullet Club Civil War? So this Bullet Club Civil War, right? I don't know if people have referred to it as that to annoy me. But it's not a civil war. Like we've had Tabatonga getting kicked out and then Hikoleo quit. And that's it. You know, that is the, the sum total of this civil war. I was expecting more from it. Like we were told months and months ago this is going to be a year-long thing. There's going to be twists and turns. People leaving Bullet Club, people joining Bullet Club. And I mean, to me, it doesn't feel very civil warish right now. Now that being said, if we do have Okada winning at WrestleKingdom, that could potentially kickstart something. It could kickstart the Jay White face turn, which we've all been speculating about since, what was it, the, the Wrestle Kingdom 15, when he, he did that big promo before he disappeared off the face of the earth. But again, if Jay White loses this Okada match, which he probably will, that could be his uh, his Kikuchi moment. You know, he shits the bed again in the Wrestle Kingdom main event against the guy he's beaten multiple times, then maybe that could be a launching point to do something interesting with him. You know, I don't know, have evil boot him out of Bullet Club or something and maybe actually do something with that storyline. So to me, that's the only way that this Wrestle Kingdom main event is interesting and it's in the aftermath of it rather than the match itself. Krusty is coming. Krusty is coming. <laughs> how, how many years now have we been saying Krusty is coming? I'm not sure Krusty's going to come. It's, you're right. After Wrestle Kingdom 15, we thought, oh, this is going to be the moment. Jay has shit the bed in another big time main event spot. And, and he's cracking mentally. And this is when evil's going to rise up and take over the Bullet Club. Or Tamatonga is going to rise up and take over the Bullet Club. And, and that's and that's why all this other machinations are happening. Krusty is coming. Krusty is coming. And then Tamatonga gets kicked out of Bullet Club. And again, Krusty is coming. Krusty is coming. Krusty ain't coming, kids. It's 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 we we've been down this path before in 2018 when we had Firing Squad and the Elite, and we got all excited, and then it ended on a boat. And all I'm asking for at this point is that it doesn't end on a boat. Have it end in a subway, and I mean the restaurant, not an actual subway. Have, have it end at a Burger King. Ha have it end, I don't know, you know, on an airplane. Just, I it's... That that's all I'm asking for at this point is that it doesn't fizzle out and end on a on the Jericho cruise. C can we get that at least? Because at this point, I don't know what we're getting. But to to somewhat 
bring it back with the Good Brothers thing, if you noticed th- during their appearance on Raw and then directly afterwards, Jay was tweeting as if this was all part of some grand plan. And obviously that could just be Jay being Jay and trying to find a way to work the moment into their favor um, overall as a company, not just within a storyline. But that that's kind of my worry with Good Brothers showing up in WWE is that this is somehow they've cut a deal with Hunter, who is obviously would pro- you know be a little more open to even having this discussion than Vince would have ever have been of trying to somehow extend the Bullet Club into WWE because they paired him with AJ and they're fighting. Um, the Faction Judgment Day, which is led by Finn Balor. And that whole thing kicked off because, you know, AJ and and Finn face off and they hug it out. And Finn's like, I I knew you'd come back. I knew it would all come together. And that's when AJ um, reintroduced the Good Brothers. Side note, I am way looking forward to a Doc Gallows-Dominic Mysterio match in WWE. I hope we get that at WrestleMania. It's what we all deserve. Could it be, could it be any worse than the three-minute Yano match? Uh, probably yes. Possibly. But really, is any match, can any match top Anoki coming out from the back, slamming a metal chair against every hard surface he could, screaming bullshit and calling for the bell, and then hitting Chono upside the head in anger? You can't top that. Now you said all that about Jay White and WWE. Now I'm thinking there's a non-zero chance of Jay White dropping the belt to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom and then popping up on Raw <laughs> a few days later, uh, which you know would be sad, but would also mean I get to not take another victory lap because uh, when we were discussing, uh, it seems like ages ago now about the 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 fifty fifty chance of him joining WWE, uh, then I'll get to say yay. I was right. He did join WWE. Fuck you all. Uh, but you know, I'm not necessarily saying that will happen, but everything you've discussed there has thrown that up as a distinct possibility. It's, it's, it's just something to consider because I just, I just found that interesting that he was tweeting through it, so to speak. And with Jay, you you can never tell if it's what is is real or part of of the catalyst of of pro wrestling gimmick and this is obviously a very easy way for him to continue to lean on that and to make himself a part of the the overall conversation by somehow intimating that good brothers going to WWE is is part of his grand plan whatever the the fuck that's supposed to be and you know we still have you know some bullet club stuff in impact i think juice was was on a recent show and Yes, yes. So there is, oh, I think it was Bound for Glory, where it was like, I think Juice and Chris Bay, and Juice got pinned by Bully Ray, which is really um, Juice's career of the last couple of years summed up in a single sentence, Juice getting pinned by Bully Ray on impact. Is that better or worse than doing a time of a draw with Enzo? I don't know. Maybe better just because I didn't watch that match on like... I was crazy enough to watch that Enzo match. 
So maybe better because it's just not the memory's just not seared into my eyeballs the same way that Enzo matches. And poor Lee Malone, who I gifted that to with Voices of Wrestling Secret Santa, which was your idea. So uh, Lee, if you're listening, it was her fault. So blame I'll, her. I'll, no, I'll, I'll take all that. That was great. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Let's be honest. Uh, so yeah, okay. but but ultimately yeah. So you've got that. Who knows what's going on with AEW with with Small Adam and his con- uh, apparent concussion issues and the elite and and all of that. So I don't know if it's also maybe a question of injuries, kind of stymieing some of whatever plans they had. Like who knows? Again, I just I just hope this doesn't end on the Jericho cruise in a any statement. That that's all I'm asking for at this point. I won't make a tsunami joke, but I, I won't. <laughs> the eighth match was a special singles match with Kazuchika Okada defeating Jonah in 19 minutes, 53 seconds with the Rainmaker. And yeah, this was just great stuff. I mean, classic pro wrestling. I do love Jonah in New Japan. He's, to, to me, he's a breath of fresh air and real sort of pro wrestling distilled into its simplest form where you've got, it, it's an Inoki tribute match, isn't it? You've got the sort of, uh, the Japanese heroic baby face uh, taking on the, invading massive giant foreign heel and this played into that perfectly Okada was fantastic here Jonah's great I thought this was it was right up there maybe as good as the G1 match obviously it didn't have the the big shock finish of uh, Jonah actually winning but the crowd still gasped when he went up and, and went for the torpedo splash at the ends and yeah I thought this was uh, really good stuff yeah I mean I mean the crowd if you go back and watch that match the crowd is definitely not to the extent of the Osaka crowd, but that Sumo Hall crowd is living and dying during that closing stretch and gasping and ooing and eyeing over what they were watching. I agree with you. Very good match. Um, and again, I, I don't think it's as good as the G1 match, but it did what it needed to do. My main takeaway from that match is I could very easily see Jonah being Okada's first defense post Wrestle Kingdom, because at the end of that match you you get the the friendly handshake, and as Jonah is leaving, they do the the one in one deal where they're they're you know they're they're making it known to each other that they realize that now they're tied for for wins and losses, and surely there needs to be a trilogy um, finisher to determine who is the better man of the two. So I can easily see, unless Jonah fucks off to WWE, that I could... I could. Yeah, that was going to be my question, actually, but he's like, do you think he sticks around? I hope he sticks around. That was, that was, that was the biggest takeaway from the match, was seeing the crowd react to him and how he worked with Okada. And that's actually like the the first line in my notes for this match was god i hope jonah stays because you're right he is a, a breath of fresh fresh air he's everything we we wished folly would have been in his prime just a big massive beefy foreign heel that can ragdoll your baby faces around and feel that they could credibly win a match and create that suspense that we long for so much when we watch wrestling. So I, I hope he stays. Who knows? 
I, I think it would be stupid of him just because New Japan is clearly willing to to put him on a platter and rocket him up the card and, and, and do something very special with him. And as an offshoot of that, you know, them, you know, doing stuff with, with Bad Dude Tito and, and, and the like. And maybe Che Cabrera in Strong, who knows? Um, time will tell on that if, if Che is going to end up, say, in TMDK and be like the next kind of guy to, to, to make a bit of a move, depending on how he performs in Strong. But the, the world could be Jonah's oyster if he wanted it to be and to slot into a much-needed role within New Japan if he wanted to do it. Yeah, totally agree. I think I, I really hope he sticks around. You know, we're talking about New Japan handing out contracts. I think he will be a guy that I would put top of the list of priorities if we're trying to get him to sign on the dotted line. So, yeah, there's just so much uh, fertile ground there for him to have feuds and great matches with other guys at the top of the roster. And, yeah, he could really be a, a significant player in New Japan if he sticks around. So, hoping that he does. Um, seventh match now was the KOPW 2022 provisional match. Uh, who's your daddy match with holder Shingo Takagi successfully defending against the challenger El Fantasmo. 16 minutes and one second with a ground cobra twist. So Takagi retains KOPW 2022 and is ELP's daddy. Now, I mean, the, the match itself is really good. I mean, obviously a singles match in 2022 between Shingo and ELP is always going to be good because they're two very, very good wrestlers. And it's good to see ELP... He's pretty much a full heavyweight now and, you know, going toe-to-toe with a former world champion like Shingo, I think that's really exciting to see. The daddy stuff and the the dummy at the end, I mean, it just can miss me with that. I mean, it doesn't do anything for me. I kind of liked when KOPW was having sort of interesting match stipulations that actually made the match play out in an interesting way, like the one, the, the series between Shingo and Taichi where it was like cumulative pinfalls counted and things like that i found that more compelling than you know I, I don't want the direction to be just a regular singles match with some sort of goofy winning thing added on at the end because i like the direction that kpw was going this year but uh we put that to one side i thought it was a good match and it looks like they're having a rematch on october 28th uh, rumble of 44th street uh, along with okada and eddie kingston against jay white and juice robinson so your thoughts, please, on Shingo against ELP. This was my match of the night. I liked it a lot. I didn't have a problem with the the daddy stuff and the binky at the end. It I, I actually appreciated New Japan fully leaning into the absurdity of the stipulations of this match. The, the, I mean, the VTR got into it. Shingo willingly played into it was great yeah so i'm like okay if you're gonna do it let's go all the way and they went all the way so i i I appreciate that and it 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 was a great match like i said my match of the night i think we should rename uh kopw as the kink of pro wrestling between the who's your daddy and elp you know getting spanked by Shingo in the middle of the ring. And then, you know, we had that Yano dog cage match against Suzuki, which had some very weird vibes to it as well. So maybe this is just going to be the the Kingster title going forward into 2023. And I'm okay with that if that's the route they go with this. 
and I'm looking forward to the match on the tw- yeah the pervert yeah. championship. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pervert belt or the pervert statue. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to the match on the 28th because they're they're definitely ramping it up um, in their match on for the first night of Battle Autumn, which is the uh, a multi man tag. It, it 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 continued the escalation that we had seen at the end of the um, Declaration of Power match, where at the end of that, ELP throws a fit, um, nut punches Shingo, or as uh, Kevin Kelly likes to go, "Ow, that's my purse," which is a great a great callback to King of the Hill, and then ELP you know, steps on the trophy, breaks it into four pieces, takes two pieces. So then here we're at at Battle Autumn and Shingo comes out with his pieces looking maybe sadder than Yano looked when Yano's statue broke. He was very upset. And then ELP's coming out with his two pieces and he's fucking about with it, taunting Shingo. But that match ended in a disqualification because Shingo just kind of lost his shit and brained ELP with a chair in front of the ref and had no remorse. And I think they announced that the match on the 28th is going to be a last man standing who's your daddy match. I'm not sure how that works. Oh, God. But I'm I'm intrigued because up- I'm scared. If, if this is going to be one of these things where it's like they stop the match every five seconds and put a microphone in his face saying, "Is Jingo your daddy? Is ELP your daddy? Yes, no." Then I I'm not looking forward to that. I like I'm intrigued because again they 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 fully committed to the gimmick for the first go around, and I feel fairly confident that with these two guys they will completely commit to this for the second go around. And I'm intrigued what that looks like, Um, especially in the case of somebody like Shingo, who let's not forget this time last year, he was holding the Super Sentai Diva belt as our IWGP world heavyweight champion. And now he's fighting ELP in a who's your daddy match and in a last man standing who's your daddy match coming up. So let's not forget that. And I'm intrigued by that for probably all the wrong reasons. This is like the the Vince McMahon curse. Like when Vince finds out that you've got actually some comedic timing, then you just become a joke character for life. And I think Shingo's sort of got underrated comedy chops. Like he has been a great sort of straight man for uh, other people to sort of bounce their comedy off him. Like I remember him and Kent having some really amusing backstage uh tete-a-tete so that's it he's he's comedy wrestler now Shingo Takagi he, we might as well turn him into stalker Ichikawa he, he's the next Yano we're going to phase out Yano and Shingo's going to be our comedy guy I'm okay with that I'm comp- if it means getting rid of Yano as as the main comedy wrestler and you get Shingo to where you're going to get some great comedy stuff but also really good wrestling that's a win-win I can live with that There we go. New Japan Booking Committee. If you're listening, you can have that one for free. All right. Sixth match then was the special singles match with Master Watto getting a big upset win over the IWGP Junior Champ in a non-title match, uh, Taiji Shimori. 40 minutes, 40 seconds with the Recientemente 2. So this was a pretty good match. I mean, as far as uh, Watto goes, I mean, I, I do see him sort of growing in confidence and he, he has made incremental improvements since he re-debuted with the Master Watto gimmick. I guess 
the main takeaway from this is, is looking ahead and see what they did afterwards. So they had the, the press conference and they have made official the four-way junior title match between Ishimori, Wato, Hiromu and Despi, which, I mean, they really seem to jump the gun on this. I would have liked to see at least one more junior title. Well, I say one more. How many times has Ishimori actually defended this junior title since he won it? That's a question. I, I, and, yeah, I believe- do we really have to lock in the Wrestle Kingdom main event? I believe the answer. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say I believe the answer to that question is zero. He has not defended it once. Right. Yeah. So, was there any need to have set in stone the Wrestle Kingdom Junior Title match this early on? I mean, it's only October. Like, surely you could have squeezed one, maybe even two more defenses in between now and then. So, just I mean, that four way match at Wrestle Kingdom does nothing for me. I mean, if you're telling me would you rather have that four-way match or a singles match between any of those guys? I mean, maybe at least the four-way match is something different. I do feel like I've seen those four guys wrestle each other a shit ton of times uh, since the pandemic started. But four-way matches, uh, not my favourite. It just feels a bit, to, to coin a Meltzer phrase, creatively bankrupt. I mean, how are you feeling about the well, this match and the Wrestle Kingdom match? This match... So I'm, and, and I've said this a couple of times on some of the, some of my appearances here, that I, in terms of stonks, I have a lot of Watto stonks. I've I've not dumped mine. I'm holding on to them, unlike Damon, who is clearly in the anti uh, Watto camp. I I think there's still tremendous upside to Watto, and I think there there's still that there is still hope for Watto because we need to keep remembering he's what, 24, 25? He's still very young, wet behind the ears, having come back from an excursion to Mexico that was definitely an adventure. Wasn't there, what, about like six months where we didn't know where he was during that excursion? So I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in on Watto stonks. And the other thing that I took away initially from this is that Singles matches, whether they are special or title matches, do not fall off the trees very easily in New Japan. Not everybody gets a special singles match. Not everybody gets a titles match. So for New Japan to be in a bind with Koshida's medical issues, to decide that Wado is going to be the one to get the tap on the shoulder, when you had, theoretically... And I'm sure it's not just in Damon's mind, but in a lot of other people's minds, you had a lot of other better options in terms of, say, maybe show or yo, or you could even go back to Taguchi, even though we've seen Taguchi Ishimori numerous times, that they decided that it was Wado that was going to get a tap on the shoulder, I think means something. And that fact that that Wado got the pin on Ishimori and is able to be a part of a four-way at Wrestle Kingdom, because again, just like singles and title matches just don't fall off of trees for everybody in New Japan, title matches at Wrestle Kingdom don't fall off of trees at New Japan for everybody. There's a lot of guys that have that we like that are really good that have never gotten title matches at Wrestle Kingdom, whether it's one-on-one or a three-way, or a four-way, or a seven-way, or whatever. 
So I think that the company is not giving up on Watto. I, I don't I don't think that we should give up on Watto as fans. I think we just have to admit that he is young and is going to take time. And I think also that we have been spoiled by the fact that there's been a recent spate of returnees, you know, headlined by Jay White, who come back, hit the ground running, and immediately get the rocket strapped to them. And for whatever reason, we put those same expectations on Watto. And not everybody is going to get the rocket strapped to them immediately. That just doesn't work. There are some people that it's just going to take a little bit longer and a little more time to get them to where they should probably eventually end up being. Great Khan being another example of somebody that hasn't really gotten a rocket strapped to him. Um, so I, I, I think we just need to be patient with Watto because, again, he's 24 or 25. He's got a lot of time ahead of him to be where we would like him to be, provided that he's not injured or anything like that. The match itself, again, good match. I think Wado acquitted himself um, admirably in that match. I didn't have a problem with it. I liked that he came out by himself. He didn't have any of, any of his dads with him, neither Tenzan nor Taguchi. So hopefully that, that that is a sign of the further kind of development of Wado, where they're just going to let him kind of sink or swim on his own, and they're not going to give him the crutch of a of a dad to kind of help get him over the deal. I, I, with it, as far as a four-way is concerned, I'm not sure what else you could do at this point. You're right. We've seen all sorts of permutations of matches between Ishimori, Desperado, and Hiromu up to this point, especially during the pandemic. I think this says something about the company not feeling confident that Kushida is going to be in fighting shape anytime soon. And that's why we're not getting a match at, say, um, Adiana Arena. I forget what we're calling. The, the, the show that we would normally call Power Struggle, but that I'm sure has been given a new name for this 50th anniversary year that is completely slipping my mind at the moment. So what, what else are you going to do? Because clearly they don't want to do anything with Sho or Yo or some of the other guys that they could be doing stuff with Doki, Kanemaru as singles wrestlers, um, especially Sho and Yo, who we're going to touch on this um, hopefully later in this New Japan World TV title belt. Um, but neither, neither of those guys being in, in, in this tournament? Come on. So that's how... That, that feels like the state of play of things for me, that New, New Japan just feels like they don't have much of an option and that in their mind, a four-way with Wado involved is the freshest thing that they can do. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's an indictment on the state of the, the junior division as it is. And I mean, that's not to say there isn't talent there. It just, they haven't done anything new or interesting with that, the, the talent at their disposal. And I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Kushida, that guy I'd completely forgotten about. Just remember when Kushida was a thing, this big comeback. I mean, I was excited to see him come back. And oh my goodness, I mean, I, I can't think of another wrestler who had such a hype comeback that it just completely evaporated into nothingness. And, you know, it's not completely his fault because obviously he's suffering from this hand, foot and mouth, which looks pretty gnarly from the photos he's been sharing. 
but David uh, Coombe writes in on Twitter and says, what do you see as Kushida's role for Wrestle Kingdom if he's not in the junior title match and is healthy? Winning Tag League and challenging for that. Six-man titles, throw away multi-mount or rumble match or even staying in the US and missing it all together. I mean, the fact that they've booked this four-way title match without Kushida makes me think that he's... Well, I was going to say a serious doubt. I mean, it's hand, foot, and mouth. They can't seriously be thinking that's going to last another three months. I mean, do you think there's a, a backup plan for Kushida that, uh, for Wrestle Kingdom? It doesn't feel like it. Honestly, this hand, foot, and mouth thing is probably the most interesting thing that's happened with Kushida because we're finally talking about him for the first time in like three months. I I, I think that Kushida is either going to be in a Rambo if they have a Rambo. I guess they'll have a Rambo for King of, of Pro Wrestling. Or he's staying home. I don't see him. I don't see him winning Super Junior Tag League. Who would he? Who would he even? I don't even know who he, who he would tag with. Is he tagging with say Alex? Alex Shelley, maybe. May, you think Shelley's gonna like spend a month in Japan? Because cause Shelley's got Shelley's got a shoot job, right? Because he's yeah. I mean, you've seen him do sort of the odd appearance for sort of big strong shows stateside but uh yeah what is he some sort of like physician or he's got some (laughs) like a a proper job yeah like something in the medical field which is why for the longest time during the the beginning of the pandemic he wasn't even taking bookings because he you know he didn't want to risk exposing himself um um uh, you know medical wise not physically um (laughs) And wanted <laughs> not like Taguchi, so. right? Unlike Taguchi, um, and wanted to protect to protect his patients. I I, I just don't see what with, if if we're not doing a singles title, I, I don't see anything for for Kushida. I'm get because I'm guessing that at this point Tanahashi is going to be like in the six man scene, most likely. Considering that's where they've got him right now, and again, what? Again, we're only in October, but if we're trying to to prognosticate potential Wrestle Kingdom matches, I, I I just them not even trying to get Kushida for the defense in November in Osaka tells me at this point they have no plans for him. Nothing. Yeah, sadly, I think you're, you're spot on there with that one. Uh, fifth match then was Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito defeating Francesco Akira, TJP, Eric Hilare, and Will Ospreay. So this match was notable for Titan, who made a surprise debut, and joined LIJ, so he's the first non-Japanese member. And I've been speculating on the pod last week about getting Bushi back into the junior tag mix. I thought it would be with Hiromu. Obviously, this came completely out of left field for us. But I really like it. I think T-Town and Bushi is a pretty cool team. I love T-Town. I think we're all very high on his output in Best of Super Juniors. And if he is indeed signed full-time to New Japan, I think that's a great move uh, for both involved. And yeah, I think they're looking good together. They've already got a cool finisher, the MX into the, what's he called it, the Angel Immortal. Uh, yeah, so I thought that's a, a good move. Uh, this match itself, it was fine. Um, it's an eight-man tag match. I like all the guys involved. Uh, nothing to write home about, but... Yeah, how are your feelings on the match and T-Town joining LIJ? The match ultimately just served as the, the, the vessel for which to 
kind of debut Teton as the member of LIJ. Really, it's it's really a nothing match until Teton shows up. You know, they get they get the pin, so they're already kind of securing their their shot at the the junior tag belts. I thought that Teton's actual entrance into LIJ, that whole post match bit, I thought that was awkward as fuck. And just took too long. It was so bad. I was like, it went just on for get so long, it, man. It, it just felt weird and yeah, just just very long and very awkward. And it, I, I, I don't. It, it's the vibes are weird coming off of this inclusion of Teton into Lij because they're telling the story now during Battle Autumn, and that this wasn't Naito's idea, that this was Bushi basically recruiting Teton. And that's why, even though as they were hyping on um, commentary that uh, King of Pro, the uh, King of Pro Wrestling show is very notable in LIJ history for all these various debuts of members, that in this case, it was not Naito bringing the new Pareja in. It was Bushi. And clearly Naito not being consulted or the rest of LIJ being consulted since they have to have the, the quick little uh, uh, meeting in the ring before accepting Teton. And then that's kind of an, an ongoing story in these battle auto multi-tags where Bushi and Teton are, you know, getting on like a house of house of cards on fire and are having a great time. And there's clearly chemistry and Naito's just kind of along for the ride and bringing up the point that, this is, you know, besides being the first non-Japanese member of LIJ, this is the first member not brought in by Naito and is not in any way connected to Naito the way that all the other members have been. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually more interested to see where this is going long term with LIJ and with Naito and what this means. And of course, obviously, this match is a setup for the Naito against Will Ospreay US title match coming up. And I think it's interesting to dip into that with a promo. So I thought Will Ospreay cut a really good promo talking about both the US title and the Intercontinental title. And he was sort of uh, bemoaning the fact that it wasn't the IC title on the line for this, even though the US title has basically filled that slot that the IC title once took. And uh, Ospreay was basically blaming Naito for the dissolution, the disappearance of the Intercontinental title. And then Naito fired back in his next promo, blames it on Ibushi. I mean, where do you stand with this whole debate about who is responsible for the, the loss of that Intercontinental title, if you even cared about it at all? I, I, I cared about the Intercontinental. I probably cared about it more than a lot of people did when Naito was first making uh, the rumblings about, oh, I, I want to carry both belts and defend them together and separately and all that bullshit. Because at that time, we could see the writing on the wall and see the ultimate end game of if you had one man holding both belts. We knew where it was going. It was just a matter of of when and how they got there. And very early on, I was like, no, this is bullshit. This, is, this should not be happening. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's the IC belt. The same people that go after the IC, go after the heavyweight belt anyway. So it doesn't really matter. And now look, all of a sudden, y'all want the belt back and it's too late. So um, I don't know. Can we can we blame the official for this? Can we blame Kikuchi? 
can we do that? That that seems way more fun than than blaming Naito <laughs> yes. or Bushi or whatever. We, you know, let let let's let's blame the official. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is like I I think I put the note as you know the U.S. belt should be ta- you know taglined as the battle of the two assholes because you've got Naito who's just 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 a dirtbag asshole, and then Will who's the smug asshole. And it's just basically may, may the bigger dick win at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the the U.S. belt has replaced the IC belt. The the never belt is replacing in a way the U.S. belt. And then, as we will get into it later, the the New Japan World TV title belt is replacing the never belt in theory. Um, and and, and it just is what it is. Right, let's move on to the fourth match, which was a special tag match with uh, Khan on the Cobb, Great Khan and Jeff Cobb defeating Bishamon, Yoshihashi, and Hiroki Goto in 10 minutes, 9 seconds after a tour of the islands. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good match, actually. I mean, for the fourth match on the nine-match show, I like this one a lot. And I guess it's setting up Khan on the Cobb as early front runners and sort of serious contenders for the World Tag League. I'm assuming they're going to be entering World Tag League. Uh, I'm not sure if there's going to be any title defences between now and then. I doubt it. I think we're most looking, uh, the, the most likely outcome is FTR defending the uh, heavyweight tag titles at Wrestle Kingdom against whoever wins World Tag League. And yeah, could be card on the cob based on the outcome of this match. What do you think of the idea of FTR defending against um, Khan, on the car, Khan on the Cob at... Um, AEW full gear. Yeah, I'd be into that. I mean, I just want to see that that, that sort of two on two match because I guess the sort of long running story here is that Card on the Cobb lost the titles to FTR without actually getting pinned. So I think they're sort of trying to build this long term story that they just want to face each other two on two. And I don't really mind where it happens, to be honest. Uh, I just want to see the match. I think it will be really good. Yeah, but I just that that was one of the thoughts that came to my mind at the end of the match was the possibility of of seeing a defense on U.S. soil in AEW, and you know if it would be you know Great Ocon and Cobb or, or or somebody else, but that that's just an idea that came to my head. You know, another takeaway, it was weird having Gideon Gray with them because Gideon Gray is serving some weird function that we've not seen with United Empire up to this point. And that to me in this match, they felt a little more healy than usual. You know, they were doing the the shenanigans with um, Bo. And I, all I could imagine was Kenta sitting at home screaming at his TV as Bo was being abused by Great Okan and being rubbed against Yoshihashi's ash, ass and all the, all the horrible, despicable things that they were doing to the great love of Kenta's life. Um, but it just, it, 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 they just had a, a different vibe with Gideon Gray with them at ringside that they normally, that I feel that they normally do not have without him. 
and and that's United Empire in in total as as a unit. And that yes, they're heels, but they're normally not the cheating, smarmy heels. Yeah, I'm not sure what exactly the function of Gideon Gray is at this moment because it's not like the United Empire guys can't cut their own promos. And I guess Okada been the sort of unofficial spokesperson for them for the Japanese language promos at least. And look, I maybe on an island here, I think Will Ospreay is a pretty good promo, but. I'm just wondering if Gideon Gray might be uh, a conduit to getting Yota Suji involved with United Empire at some point in the future. I don't know if he'd be joining them or going against them, but I think that's something worth thinking about because given the, the history between Gideon Gray and Yota Suji and RevPro. Yeah, that that's an option. That's probably where they're going. I think they're just their execution and usage of Gideon Gray is is just not gelling yet with what had... United Empire had established in the last basically year or so. Um, so it, it just stood out to me very much. All right, our third match then was the six-man tag match with Yusuke Taguchi, Hikuleo, and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Sho, Yujiro, and Evil. So this was a non-title match, but obviously now with Taguchi getting the pin over Sho after seven minutes, we have Taguchi Hikuleo and Hiroshi Tanahashi as the, the Fire Pro random select team that David and I have been uh, demanding returns. Uh, they are going to be getting a title shot for those never six-man belts coming up sometime in the future. I can't remember exactly what show it is. I don't think they're going to win, but it was quite a fun match. I mean, I like the dynamics of uh, basically it being a showcase for Hikuleo to just batter everybody. and I think that's a, a cool spot for him. I don't think... I mean, I suppose there's a chance he could be uh, a double, a double never openweight champion in being uh, holding the singles title and the six man titles. Do you think that's a likely outcome here for Ikaleo? No, I, I don't think he's going to be double champion. I do think, though, that our Fire Pro um, random select team is going to win the belts, and I because that match is actually before. Hikuleo's challenge of Carl for the never open weight belt. And I could see a scenario where he wins the, the, the never six man. Um, Cause I, I just find that interesting that he's, he's, he's going to be part, he's basically challenging for both belts. And I think that at, in terms of his development, I think that being in, in, in the never six, is is a perfect place for him right now, you know. And, and you pair him with Tanahashi and Taguchi, and we get some great comedy moments of Hikuleo trying to talk both of them into entering the ring by climbing over the top rope, and Tanahashi going, uh, "Nah, man, I'm, I'm I'm not doing that. My knees can't handle that." And Taguchi doing it, and the comedy of him like you know racking his nuts on the top rope or falling over and pulling a hamstring that that's what I could see as, as an outcome is the, is, is, is that happening? I definitely do not see at the moment Hikuleo as double never champ, mainly because I just don't think Hikuleo is at the point yet of, of being a singles champion. I think he's just still a little green and raw around the edges and needs a lot of seasoning before we put even um, the never belt on him, especially with, the way that they're positioning the never belt right now. He's just not at that level. He's perfect for a challenger and it fits into this never ending bullet club fracas, civil war, disagreement, whatever we want to call it. 
And then our second match here was Dangerous Tekas, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Bad Dude Tito and Shane Haste in 9 minutes 58. So Zack pins Tito with the European clutch. Uh, yeah, I thought like this one as well. I like the uh, encounters between Zack and Shane Haste. I believe that they've got history together. I think they might have been in Noah together at the same time. Could be completely wrong there. But uh, again, I'm just looking at this sort of going forward to World Tag League because I'm assuming Dangerous Techers will be in World Tag League. They should be. And also, you know, how well they're going to do. I mean, they should be amongst the favourites for that, although I do think Conor and the Cobb are the more likely winners. And then also, what sort of TMDK representation we get at World Tag League? Is it going to be this team? Do we get Mad Mikey Nichols back? Is it going to be Nichols and Haste resuming their old tag team together? Then maybe Tito and Jonah going at it together uh, in, in uh, another TMD, TMDK tag team? So, yeah, your thoughts on this match and uh, implications for World Tag League? I, I, I liked it a lot. Actually, my biggest takeaway from this match is I want to see Tito challenge for the never. I, I think he would be a great challenger, and I actually wouldn't mind Tito having a little run with the Never Belt. I think that would be really fun. In terms of who I expect to see in World Tag League, I think it's going to be this team. I, I, I get the feeling that if it was going to be Mad Mikey Nichols with Shane Haste, we, we would be seeing that team right now that they would be warming up. For World Tag League, and they're not. It's it's Tito and his hysterical Shane Haste. So I, I'm expecting that to be the team that we get for World Tag League. I love Jonah. I don't know if Jonah's got the conditioning though to do a full a full World Tag League run, uh, uh, and he doesn't strike me as a guy that you would particularly want to put in in a tag spot especially with how, you know, he's, he's getting these, you know, these shots with Okada and whatnot. I think you'd want to save him more as that intimidating singles opponent than somewhat exposing him in World Tag League. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously Dangerous Techers is going to be in World Tag League, should be the favorites. And But my question with them is, Ultimately, what are we doing with them? They're not being talked about in the tag title picture. Every time we talk about potential opponents for FTR, it's Bishamon and Khan on the Cobb. Dangerous Techers doesn't even come up, even though they're, they're former champions. And then you've got Zack and Tai Chi in the New Japan World TV title belt tournament. And I just, I, I, I don't know what the plan is is for dangerous techers and I'm kind of feeling getting the vibe that they that kind of like Kushida there there are no plants. You know, they'll have a nice run in World Tag League, they're not going to win it and then they'll just go back to doing single stuff again. And now that now that the 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 gates are open and we're getting more tag teams back in, they're being kind of pushed to the side for the new toys. Yeah, I think that's probably the right move, to be honest. I think they served an important function during the pandemic when we weren't able to freshen up the tag division and they did a great job there. But they've said in the promos that they're concentrating more on their singles prospects this year. And I think that'll be the case going forward, as you laid out there. So the opening match here was the Red Narita comeback match where Red Narita made his uh, comeback from his uh, excursion with his gimmick being the son of Strong Style. 
And he, Robbie Eagles and David Finley defeated the team of Doki, Yoshinobu Kanemaru and El Desperado. So Red got the pin over Doki after 7 minutes, 28 seconds with the front suplex hold. Now, I think that a lot of people are sleeping on Red Narita and not really understanding the, the implications and you know how much he could shake up things in New Japan knowing that he's come back. Because New Japan Strong has basically for the last 18 months been the Red Narita development show. He has wrestled everyone of note on that show in sub-15 minute strong style matches, for want of a better word, where he and his opponents, doesn't matter who they've been, have just basically beat the shit out of each other. There's been a nice mix of sort of grappling and submissions and heavy striking, and none of them have outstayed their welcome. And especially looking at this NJPW World TV title, the stipulations of that, that seems tailor-made for a red narrator. So, I mean, I don't want to go digging too heavily into the TV title and the brackets right now. I just want to focus on Red Narita, who I think his style, you know, there's all the Shibata comparisons. I, you know, hopefully Red will be his own man and be able to earn accolades on his own merit rather than having to be sort of compared to Katsuro Shibata throughout his entire career because I'm not sure how helpful that will be. But he's definitely got all the tools to be uh, a big player. And, you know, New Japan are really lacking for Japanese younger heavyweights. And I think he could be a guy who, you know, we talked about Jonah being a stylistic breath of fresh air. I think Ren is that too. There hasn't really been anyone to fill in that kind of spot since Shibata stopped wrestling. So I'm really excited about Ren. And especially if he's, he is going to be having these sort of never open weight traditional style matches that go in less than 50 minutes is just him and dudes beating the crap out of each other. I think people should be really excited about Ren. He felt like a star coming out at the beginning of that match. There's there's just an aura about him that, to me at least, said this guy is is going. He's he's going to get a rocket of some speed attached to him, and he's going to be probably sooner uh, than later challenging for the IWGP heavyweight belt. He, there was just a vibe about him. He's wearing Shibata's kick pads. Somebody picked that up and screen capped it. That, um, like if you go back and watch Strong, the his kick pads that he's wearing has his name on it. And now they're, they're Shibata's that Shibata clearly gave to him. And they're calling him Son of Strong Style. You don't call anybody the son of Shibata because that is a heavy mantle to wear in this day and age. It's just like you you wouldn't put anybody under the tiger mask mask. You wouldn't dream of just deciding that somebody should be Juicing Thunder Liger the second, not that that will ever happen. But again, if you were going to do that, you're not just putting anybody under that mask because when you give these designations of the second or the son of, there are obviously expectations. And for New Japan to right out of the gate do this with Narita says that they that they're all in. They they they've bought all the stocks that they can buy on Ren Narita and that they are expecting him to to live up to that expectation. Um the match itself. That was the easiest payday 
that Finlay and Robbie Eagles have probably ever had because they really were not in that match. They never got tagged in. They pop in for like the closing stretch sequence bit where everybody comes in and hits their shit and gets gets out. But the majority of that seven minutes, some odd second match, that was all Ren um, getting his ass kicked, kicking, kicking ass, getting the pin. Just like Strong the last 18 months has been the Ren Narita project, that match was basically the Ren Narita match. And he had some like backup dancers with him, basically, um, to, to, to make it look even and to keep the sides, uh, you know, three apiece. But ultimately, like Finley and Eagles did absolutely nothing. I'm not even sure if they worked up a sweat. Yeah, I mean, I've just opened up Renderita's cage match here to see exactly, you know, who he's been wrestling. And it tells its own story about how keen they are, how high they are in his prospects. So, you know, looking at uh, people he's wrestled on strong. So singles matches against the likes of uh, Chris Dickinson, uh, Royce Isaacs, Fred Rosser. So he beat Dickinson, he beat Fred Rosser, uh, he beat Carl Fredericks in a singles match. Uh, there was an Osprey match at Battle in the Valley. Uh, lest we forget the Shibata match, you know, this Ren was given a friggin' singles match against Katsuhiro Shibata at Wrestle Kingdom before he even completed his excursion. Uh, he's wrestled Josh Barnett, he's wrestled Buddy Matthews, Jay Lethal, Rocky Romero. So, you know, I think that tells its own story about a guy who's had hand picked, like, really well experienced opponents throughout his time on Strong, where he could really develop and, and showcase some of his skills. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. And as we've mentioned, this NJPW World TV title could be the perfect conduit for him to do it. So we've already had uh, four matches so far, the TV title. I've only seen the first two. Booz has seen all of them so far. But just looking at it, it really does feel like they should go all the way with Red because we'll be having the semifinals coming up at Battle Autumn in Osaka, the Eddie and Arena show, and then the finals will be at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. So I think that would be the perfect place to crown Red Narita and he could be the guy who does those sort of sub 50 minutes strong style matches and, and really take that ball and run with it. Uh, the belt, I mean, it's, I don't love it. I think it's a pretty strange looking belt, but I don't really care about stuff. It's not something that I think is worth wasting too much time arguing over. I think even when belts look like crap, people, we get used to them eventually. And yeah, it looks a bit like a Casio wristwatch, but I'm sure around the waist of Red Narita, he'll make it work and he'll make it prestigious. I mean, the look of the belt doesn't really matter. It's, you know, what they do with it. It's the booking of the belt that counts. So is this going to be something that they lose interest in, like KLPW and sort of fades into the background and becomes this sort of weird gimmick that they don't really put a lot of thought into? I hope not, because I think there's potential here with this TV title. What do you think? It, I mean, it could go either way. It's really... First off, yeah, that belt is ugly as fuck. And I didn't think that we could have an uglier belt than the Super Sentai Divas belt. And uh, Obari proved me wrong. So, hey, Obari, you're, you're now 0-2 on belt designs. Good for you. Um, the, the, the title is, is weird to me because... So they debuted the title... And they're explaining it as, yeah, these these 15 or less minute matches, perfect for social media, because they're like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna give away these matches for free on, on all our social media. You know, you're gonna be able to watch these matches live for free. And it's all about showcasing younger talent 
and new guys and fresh guys. And, and that's how at Declaration of Power, they build this belt. And then we got the actual bracket. And I want to, I want to kind of quote something here from a good friend of the show, Jay Michael, who um, we were kind of talking about it earlier this week. And so inaugural 16 man tournament. And again, a tournament that was initially billed as something for the younger guys, wrestlers under the age of 35, five wrestlers, exactly at the age of 35, three wrestlers at 40 and over eight. And I kind of, and, and Jay Michael himself was like, look, I'm, I'm still all excited. Um, but it's just at the moment, not kind of delivering on what we were billed as this tournament being. And I kind of popped in and I went of being kind of devil's advocate and going, why not include some guys from CMLL like Teton or AEW or even guys from Strong who you've watched obviously way more Strong than I think anybody besides Rocky Romero in the entire world. And correct me if I'm wrong, but most of these matches are sub 15 minutes, correct? Yes, that is correct. And again, that's been sort of the the foundation blocks of Renderita's whole excursion and his push. So this would have been perfect for some of those guys to come over. And I'm not saying push them deep through the tournament, but if you're trying to build this tournament as where all the where fresh faces are and the future of the company and 15 minute matches and so on and so forth, why not bring in guys that know how to deliver? fresh, exciting, sub-15-minute matches instead of basically the majority of the field delivering their same style matches in less time that doesn't fit the ethos of what this belt is supposed to be. And then I want to one other thing. So Jay Michael and I were going back and forth a little bit, and then future uh, stardom, I believe, correspondent of, for the show, Velky, um, agreed and was like talking about how all the youngsters had tweeted about being hyped for the belt and the current Japanese young lions all tweeted afterwards how disappointed they are that they are not in the tournament. Are you telling me that you're willing to bring in the DCK or the DKC to, you know, fill in a hole because the DJ decides he wants to run his mouth on, on Twitter? So you're willing to bring him in to, to do that, but you're not willing to have him be in a first round match for this tournament and then just have him work multi-mans afterwards when he gets bounced in the first round? Come on. I think New Japan missed a trick with this tournament. And I don't know what this belt is supposed to be. Ultimately, you tell me it's one thing, and then I'm looking at the brackets right now, and it's all primarily outside of Ren and Alex Zane, uh, it, it's pretty much all mid-card guys and firmly stuck in the mid-card guys that outside of evil are basically never going to get a shot at holding the IWGP belt. Like maybe the occasional, in case of like Kenta and Zach and some of these guys, yeah, they might be challengers, but there's nobody within this list that I would even say outside of Ren 
because he's fresh faced and new is going to actually ever hold the belt. This just feels like a decidedly mid card title and not even like the tippy top of the mid card or the upper mid card, middle, middle card. And guys that we always call on for like New, New Japan Cup. And the guys that always kind of, it's just the same guys. And I'm not sure what this title wants to be when it grows up. And I'm not sure if they honestly know what they want this title to be when it grows up. It should be the never. It's it's positioned yeah, I, to be the never. But you got a bunch of guys in here that don't fit the overall ethos. Agree. I, I think a bit of false advertising here. I think there's more interesting things they could have done. And at the moment, looking at the brackets, it does feel like New Japan Cup light. Um, so, you know, with the big stars taken out, this is just all the big card big carders who don't really have anything to do right now. So, yeah, it would have been cool to see some maybe some juniors thrown in there, maybe guys from stateside, as you mentioned, uh, maybe some young lines as well. And you know, to be fair to them, they are trying to use that to give a bit of juice to their uh, meaningless undercard multi man tag matches. So, you know, we've got guys like I don't know Honma or. Nakashima going out there saying, oh, maybe if I pin a guy who's in the tournament, I could take their spot. So bless them for trying. But uh, I, I will reserve judgment and wait and see who wins the tournament and how it's booked going forward. Because, you know, if is, let's say, Rin winning the title and then he is defending it against other young guys, then I'll give them their dues for that. But at the moment, it's a pretty... I don't want to say uninspired lineup because, I mean, I like most of the guys involved. I love a tournament and I think... Maybe it serves the winner better by going through established names rather than going through a bunch of youngsters. So I think there's two sides to it here. I mean, in terms of uh, predicting who you think is going to be our likely finalist for the Tokyo Dome, I mean, from the right side of the bracket, it's hard to look past Ren Narita. I think he should be going through to the final. And from the left side, I could see it being David Finley, because, you know, he's another young guy. I think Finley versus Red would be an interesting match. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. as well, because they had the Shibata connection, the, the last two guys to wrestle Shibata. I could even see it working with a guy like Evil, you know, him betting Evil into sort of uh, channeling his uh, former hard-hitting, brawling style that he was in LIJ. I think they could put on a really good match at Wrestle Kingdom. So I think Red should be the guy to win it. How do you think the tournament is going to play out? If Ren doesn't win it, what the fuck are we doing? Because this, this, as you've said, and it's very clear, this is lined up for Ren to be the inaugural champion. And, and if he's not coming out of Wrestle Kingdom with this belt, what the fuck are we doing? I would like to see out of the left side, either Finley or Zach. I think I trend more towards Zach. I think because between the Shibata connection and I think... Both of those guys, their style suits better the ethos, again, of what this title is supposed to be, fast, 15-minute or less matches. And we know Zach has the ability to, to, to make a guy tap. Um, look, at he, look at he spit quick. He can finish you off in 14 minutes and 55 seconds, or he could finish you off in less than a minute. And I, you know, and honestly, if it's not Ren, I wouldn't mind the belt going on Zach. Um, if New Japan just completely loses their mind and does not put this belt on Ren, um, I, I wouldn't be too mad if Zach was the guy that 
that walked out of Wrestle Kingdom with the belt. But yeah, it 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 should be Ren. It lines up for Ren. I wouldn't mind Finley doing, you know, getting into the finals. Evil, I mean, you're saying you want to see the hard-hitting LIJ Bruiser Evil. Um, I can tell you from today's show, we're not getting that evil in this tournament. We're getting House of Torture bullshit evil. That that's what we're getting, and we're kind of getting it at its worst. Um, and if he's going through this entire tournament to the, the finals, I mean, that could be setting the table for it, though. I mean, that could be the long term story. That evil is uh, bullshitting his way through matches uh, on his side of the bracket. But then finally, when he gets to Wrestle Kingdom, uh, Ren is the guy who just you know slaps him about so hard that he's able to uh, elicit that form of fighting spirit from him. But uh, I think I'm probably the only person on the planet who thinks that's a likely outcome. But uh, I mean, what have you thought of some of the first round matches so far? They're, they're fine. They're, they're basically new Japan cup matches. My, it's a toss up between Cobb and Yoshihashi and Zane Zack Sabre Jr. For my favorite match out of the, out of the four that we've had so far. I know a lot of people were kind of bitching about Zane tapping out with five seconds left. And we're like, how come you couldn't hold on for five more seconds? And I think that just played in perfectly with Zach overall, his overall gimmick storyline being that he's a tournament guy. And then also the fact that, yeah, he, you know, that, that again, that's the whole point of, of this belt is, you know, being able to finish guys in 15 minutes or less. And also commentary didn't do a really good job of this. I think they focused a lot on Zach's ribs and talking about how Zane should have been targeting the ribs more. Zach was doing a lot of work on Zane's legs and his knees to kind of keep him from being his normal chaotic flippy dude self, which I think played into the finish of the match when Zach's got him in, in the knee bar and Zane's trying to get out of it, trying to get out of it, can't get out of it. And because that limb had already been worked on, he ultimately could not last the five seconds to get to the coin flip. So I was completely okay with the way that match finished. And I love the way the match started where Zach, as soon as he gets up onto the ring apron, he's not even been introduced and Zane just comes out of nowhere and knocks him off and starts beating the crap out of him to again, play into that idea of, okay, I've only got 15 minutes to, to, to pin my opponent into win so I cannot waste any time I've got to hit the ground running and I like that that idea of these matches should be sprints these should not be slogs unless it's the type of slog where you're just like like a Jeff Cobb just wearing your opponent down wearing them down and trying to get the, the pin and the win that way um Yoshino um Kanemaru Finley that was a fine match I I, I it was there it's it's not going in a notebook for me. I didn't find anything. There's n- there's nothing I came away from that match like, oh my god, there, it didn't have that moment at all. Um, Kabe Yoshihashi, that was a good match. I liked I liked that more than I thought I was going to like it. Again, Tacos is working on the base and he's working on Cobb's legs, and I like the fact that Yoshihashi now has his own sort of flash pin where he can get the win that way 
and that was great. The side note of that, I thought it was funny that here we have these matches that are supposed to be 15 minutes or less. And then here's Yoshihashi with like a five minute entrance and the music's just going and going. And I think that went for like two or three minutes. And I, I had, I, I had a little chuckle at that dichotomy that brought a little smile to my face. The evil Hinari match. I, I laughed like, like if you follow me on Twitter, you, you saw that as soon as this match ended, I was hitting with, with a laughter gif and I was going into the spoiler zone on the discord um, with a string of maniacal ha ha ha's uh, partly because I just could not believe that they ended the match the way that they ended it. And they went the route that they went and also a bit of ha 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 Hinari that of course, here's a dude that is also kind of tailor made for this belt with his MMA training. Um, and if somebody wants to tell Hinari that I'm kind of giving him some props because he's blocked me on Twitter. And as soon as he sees that I'm hosting this episode, probably will not listen to it because I guess I hurt his feelings last time I was on when I said between him and Kojima, I would put the Noah belt on Kojima over Hinari. Um, because in the grand scheme of things, Hinari doesn't move the needle like Kojima does. I guess that hurt his primal bro feelings. So if somebody wants to tell Hanari that I'm actually kind of praising him at the moment, that would be great. Because again, he's he's a guy that you would want to focus on and maybe get to the finals, but he can't even get out of the first round against Evil because we got to have some some House of Torture bullshit, which is fine. It sets up Evil Yoshihashi. I get it. It's a match we've seen a bunch of times before, so I'm not. It's it's not a sexy match. And the funnier thing about this was that I was crazy and I watched all of night one of Battle Autumn because I was lazy after 10 hours of work and didn't feel like fast forwarding to the matches that I needed to watch. So Battle Autumn, night one, you've got House of Torture, all four members versus the team of Jado, Yano, Taguchi, and Hikuleo. And the end of that match is Jado's got Yujiro in the yes lock. Yujiro is tapping, but the ref can't see Yujiro is tapping because the ref's being distracted by evil with a chair. Then Sho gets in the ring with the wrench. Jado lets Yujiro go, goes after Sho. Sho starts backing into the corner, hiding the wrench, making funny faces, which means... Jado can't see Dick Togo come up behind him with the garrot. So Jado gets garroted. Then Jado gets a wrench to the face. Then he gets pimp juice. We've got to protect and, Jado, please. And after that, he fin- they finally pin Jado. So here's Jado being insanely protected. Insanely protected. In a meaningless eight-man tag match. And then we have Hinari, who is somebody that we should be somewhat highlighting. And again, is a perfect guy that if you want to freshen things up, have him at least go deep in the tournament, if not at some point putting this belt on him. And he gets this standard house of torture bullshit. He's not very protected. And I just had to laugh at all that because what the fuck is going on? And if you're not coming away from that match, thinking that, ooh, 
maybe I should dump my Hinari stocks because the company is showing no sign of having any long-term f- plans or faith in him. I don't know what to tell you because the company is not showing at all that they think that Hinari can be anything other than the pin eater for United Empire and maybe the occasional challenger for the never belt. He can't even challenge for this belt. So at this point, he can't even make it out to the second round. So I don't know what's going on with that. But if you still if you still have high stonks and you still think that the world is Hinari's oyster and the company is going to do something with him, I think you're wrong. <laughs> you directly throw shade at David there. <laughs> It's. I know y'all had Yakuniku with him and had you know long walks on the beaches or whatever. Um, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, I did not. I, I've been clear about this. I, I was not involved in the sukiyaki because, if you remember, that morning I was going to Akachan Honpo with my wife to buy a portable stroller for Esther like a good dad. So I actually missed out on the beach. So my integrity is not compromised here, Poos. No, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just ultimately saying that I'm sure Damon is not the only individual that's got a lot of investment in Hinari stocks. And, and as I said earlier, it, a lot of it is on how new Japan is booking him. Uh, because you, you have to agree with me that this, this, this tournament, the way it was billed, Hinari should be a guy that should be going deep in it, that it's perfect for him. Correct? We can agree on that? Agreed. Yes. Okay. Okay. Just 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 to, to reiterate that this is not a total 100 percent shit on Hinari rant from me. Um that a lot of this is 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 shitting on New Japan. Um so, but that's yeah, that 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 just blows my mind that that they went that way. Absolutely. And I get it. And everybody's like, well, of course, Hanari was going to, was going to lose. What does that say about Hanari then? When everyone looked at this bracket and gave him very little chances of moving on into at least the second round. Well, there's some exciting stuff coming up, given that the rest of the first round are going to be cheering shows, if I'm not mistaken. So there's tomorrow's show in Niigata. So we've got Goto versus Kenta and Sanada versus Taichi. So that's a cheering show. And then also for Wednesday, October 26th at Korakuen Hall, that's going to be a cheering show where we're going to get Yano versus Great Okan. And the big one that I think a lot of us are licking our chops at is uh, Ren Narita versus Tomohiro Ishii, which that... Red Hot Korokuin crowds, cheering aloud. That seems like a surefire way to kick off the Red Narita project. So very, very excited about that one. Uh, anything else notable from Friday's show that you want to mention? I would say in relation to uh, Ren Ishii, everybody, I was like crowdsourcing yesterday. Hey, besides the semi and the main, what should I watch from Friday's show? And people are like, oh, watch, watch the LIJ, UE, Multiman to see Teton and Bushi and watch the, the United Empire one with Hinari and Great Okan to see their Kitamura um, tributes. I would actually say if you're going to watch anything off of that show besides the semi and the main, watch the opener, which is Ren and Oiwa versus Ishii and Nakashima. Um, it opens with Ren and Ishii, and it's just what we want 
to see in two beefy lads uh, just start smacking the shit out of each other. And it's in a very intense match. The young lions are getting into it. Oiwa works a lot from under and he spends a lot of time in peril. And the young lions are full of extra piss and vinegar, presumably kayfabe wise, because they're not in this tournament. So they're trying to show that, hey, next time you have a tournament, we should be considered. Um, I just like that match a lot. And it's it was a nice appetizer for the Narita Ishii singles match that's coming up. Like Narita's taking no shit from Ishii and, and taking none of it and giving it. And again, it's another instance of Narita being positioned and billed to be a future star. He and he just he just looks it and feels it, and it continues on in this match. I also thought it was interesting that at the Declaration of Power show we had uh, a new face ringside. So this is Oleg Bolton, who finished fifth at the Worlds in September at 125 kilograms in freestyle wrestling. He actually he lost to an Olympic silver medalist, uh, and he had an injured knee, so uh, nothing to be ashamed of there. And he is going to be joining the New Japan Dojo, and people got a lot of high hopes for him. And also we saw Oscar Munchau, who was in the WXW Academy, a lot of people think he's got a ton of upside. He was also at the Farley Dojo. And also rumours, well, no, it, it was not a rumour. This was actually a Tokyo Olympic gold medalist, a Japanese household name, Aaron Wolf, said he wants to wrestle for New Japan after his uh, amateur wrestling retirement. So we've got uh, two new faces here in uh, the form of Oleg Bolton and Oscar Munchan, possibly more on the way in the future if Aaron Wolf does decide to join. So, yeah, some quite exciting additions there. I've been quite high on Oleg Bolton. Um so I'm very excited to see him actually getting a chance in rig. Something to look forward to there. Yeah, it's always it's always nice to, to to again to see some fresh faces, have some new young lines that that we can kind of latch on to and decide which stonks we we want to get and which ones we we don't. I, I thought it was interesting with Oleg in that if you kind of watch some of his facial expressions at Declaration of Power when they show him when he's at ringside, he just looks completely like, Oh, this, uh, did I really want to sign up for this? And not in a bad way, but obviously it's his first time working ringside and he's working it at a major show. And so he's just like a deer caught in the headlights. Cause he's clearly doesn't have everything down yet as to what he needs to do at ringside. And I felt that was a little interesting to watch. Also, again, hey, you're just formally joining New Japan. And the first thing you have to do is come out for a tribute to the promotions founder. That was also one of those, well, welcome to the company, son, kind of moments. And then, yeah, everybody's excited for Oscar. Everybody was just, once they realized who that was at ringside today, just a lot of Oscars and Ooh, he's a he's a big boy. He's a big beefy lad, and everybody was excited. And I want to say that he might have had a cameo in the um, the Folly Dojo Doc series. I, I I have memories of a scene where they're going to pick up some guys for the air, from the airport, and I have a feeling that Oscar might have been one of them, and then we just kind of never see them again. But it's, it's great to see somebody from the Fale Dojo at ringside, which again makes me wonder when we're going to see the other three guys start showing up in New Japan. Hopefully that will be after these. Is it Tama, Sh- 
Tamashi, is that what they're calling it? These, this this little Australian yes, tour, which obviously they're going to be on. And I kind of hope that they get on planes after that tour and start showing up in New Japan and being at ringside and, and working matches. And again, kind of kind of freshening up uh, Young Lion matches. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I, I can't really remember myself um, if Oscar made an appearance on the uh, Farley Dojo. I think I'll have to go back and watch that because I'd like to know. I, I, you know, every time we see a new young guy debut, we, we want to get on the ground floor and know everything there is to know about them and enjoy being on that ride with them. So, yeah, we'll definitely be watching the progression of them closely. I'm just getting this mental image now of uh, Oleg Bolton seeing Jado getting <laughs> choked out with a garrote and hit in the face with the wrench thinking, oh my goodness, what is this? Uh, dear, I hope it doesn't scare him off. Uh, but anyway, so we have uh, Battle Autumn Osaka coming up in the future. So we've got more matches announced for that. So previously, we had Naito versus Osprey for the US title and Carl Fredericks versus, not Carl Fredericks, Carl Anderson versus Hikolo for the Never title. We'll also have a random draw junior tag match with the four people involved in the Wrestle Kingdom match. So Despi, Hiromu, Bushi, not Bushi, Ishimori and Watto in a randomly drawn two versus two tag match. So some interesting possibilities there. And Aussie Open making their Japan debut there. We don't know who they'll be facing yet, but very excited to see them uh, finally making an appearance in Japan. Yeah, that, that, that four-way tag match is our the special two-on-two tag match with the uh, participants in the four-way. They were talking about on a commentary to, I think it was today about the fact that at the end of the Wrestle Kingdom press conference, like none of these guys want to be in the ring with each other um, in, in that scenario. So I could just see it be like, you know, it's like, like the end of that episode, uh, the, the end of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Will is just kind of standing in the middle of the house. That's all emptied. And he's just standing there by himself. I could just see Wado standing in the ring by himself, just waiting and, and nobody ever comes out because the other three just don't want to either work with each other or, or be in that scenario. Because because poor Watto is definitely the the odd man out in this four way. And then does that mean we're going to have uh, Tenzan coming out and Watto says, "How come you don't want me, man?" and hugs him? That would that would that would be a nice heartwarming moment. You know, it, it would offset the the, the daddy shenanigans. Getting so. deeper than the fresh fruits of Bel Air. Yes, or, yes. Excellent stuff. Okay, uh, also we have an episode of New Japan Strong to review. So this is Autumn Action from Saturday, October 8th. So we had a show to Umino defeating QT Marshall in 10 minutes, 11 seconds with Death Rider. So again, I've spoken at length before about how I think QT Marshall is actually fulfilling quite a, a valuable role in Strong that he's a guy who beats all the bottom feeders and has the heel promos and shits on everyone and annoys the crowd, but then is ultimately fed to the guys on excursion so you know your guys like your Renz, uh carl fredericks is show to umino's and yeah he served this function very well here so pretty good match i think uh qt marshall is quite underrated wrestler strange of me to say that but uh second match was renderator against juice robinson which started with uh, a disqualification after a minute 20 seconds but then turned into a no dq match in 40 minutes 45 seconds where ren won the match with the palo special which I believe is a shout out to the Kinikuman manga and anime series. I, I think it's Warsman's signature technique. I, if there's any manga or anime nerds out there who can uh, verify that, 
please let me know. But I, I guess this match is very notable just for the visuals of Ren covered in blood, screaming, just going to war with Juice. And, you know, for all the grief that Juice Robinson has been given lately, I thought he did a really good job there in making Red look like a killer here. I thought this was a really great match. Whoever went to the code, to, to the Rhodes family school of blading definitely graduated with top of the class because Ren was just, what what's the mood scale on his face? Like right after Juice hit him with the ring bell? I mean, I mean, pretty high on the Muda scale. He was just gushing out blood at an astonishing rate. Um, and I, I like, I've got this one visual stuck in my head of Ren having been down on on the floor, and he gets up, and even though obviously the mats are black, you can just see this slick of blood pooled um, as it was still. It fairly late into the match, just just still just running down his face. Um, so visually wise, yes, just amazing. And then the spot where Juice bites into it and then spits a bunch of blood up into the air was amazing. Overall, it was if you take away that visual of of Ren doing his his best Dustin Rhodes. It's it's a fine match. I'm never a big fan of these style DQ matches just because it takes so long in a lot of cases to set up whatever props are being used. There's this whole sequence near the end where Ren is just out on the on on the um ring and Juice is just going around the ring, continually lift, lifting up the ring apron, looking for a second table. And he keeps looking for it and keeps looking for it, even though he's at this point, he's like on his third pass, as if somehow Hornswoggle is going to pop up out of nowhere and magically give him another chair, another table. And eventually he just takes the ring announcer's table and flings that into the ring to set up whatever he wanted to, to set up, which then leads into... Ren's finisher, which side note, if Ren does not use this finisher in the New Japan World TV title tournament, what are we even doing having that finisher? Because that thing looked nasty as fuck. Um, and I would actually rather overall have him use that as his finisher because that that just is gnarly and ugly and, and just wonderful to look at. But yeah, he, he, you know, Juice made him look like a killer. Juice is actually kind of excels in this style of match. I don't know what it is, but it just he just he he can work well within it and do what he needs to do to to have his opponent uh, come out, you know, just looking like a star. And yeah, Ren just this this if this was a great ultimately send off match for him. Yeah, absolutely. If this is the sort of enduring memory you have of Renderita as he says goodbye to Strong, like what a great way to grow out, uh, to go out. So the uh, main event of this show was Carl Anderson and Jay White defeating Homicide and Wheeler Utah, 40 minutes, 37 seconds. It was fine. I wouldn't say it's anything you have to go out of your way to see. I just thought it was interesting seeing at the end of the match there, Team Filthy and Bullet Club working together. So it seems like long-term they might be building to a Jay White versus Eddie Kingston singles match at some point down the line. And at the end, Filthy Tom led a crowd chant. So obviously this was his hometown. 
But I just thought it was interesting, the sort of juxtaposition of Team Filthy working together with Bullet Club and then Tom sort of being a baby face at the end. I thought that was a bit strange. So we're interested to see how that plays out going forward. If it ends up with some sort of feud going on, uh, Filthy Tom against Jay White, that will be really interesting. But uh, of course, we won't hold our breath because uh, Jay White's definitely going to WWE. That's confirmed. Book it. Said. Said. Now, uh, I'm going to hand over to you now, because uh, that's all I have on my notes. Uh, would you like to answer some Antonio questions? I, I, we can at least um, read them and try our best to answer them. Um, what is this, like my fifth, sixth time on the show, and I'm finally getting my Antonio cherry popped? So... It's so a rite of passage for all, everyone involved with the J-Cast. Yeah, yeah. So now I've, I've joined that, that, that elite group of, of people. So how do we um, – because there, there, there's a few questions from him or a few comments. And as I kind of slowly, hopefully, without making too much noise, move my mic. There's six tweets. Yeah. So should I so just – should I just read all six in the order as they're appearing on my screen and we just kind of go from there? Is, is this how we want to do this? Yeah. Why not? Why okay. the fuck not? Okay. So, look, I really wanted to ask this to Damon. I guess have to ask the question to both you and Booze. Even she blocked after I called your vote for their report, which so far I have been proven right to point. Okay. First off, I blocked you because, A, I like a well-curated timeline, and it doesn't have to be a timeline of echo chamber where it's everybody that agrees with me, but it's at least people that I think I can have dialogue with. Not sure that this is the case here. And I want to say that the VO report... I think what it was, was that I think Antonio disagrees with Vo. I don't know if it's about the official or about some other booking stuff and kind of calling into question Lanza's sources and the accuracy of them. I think that is when I decided that, first off, A, I'm just a guest host. And if you want to keep including me on these questions, that's fine. But I can also disengage myself from that because at this point, I'm the Conan O'Brien to the Super J cast. So I don't have to look at them if I don't want to. Um, but also, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, like at this point, if you're questioning Lance's sources, I don't know what to tell you. Because within the last maybe, what, two years... Um, Lanza and Vo have been right about a lot of things, and they are clearly at this point the sources. They're they're clearly the place to go if you want New Japan scoops. Dave doesn't have anything because they all went to AEW, um, and you know we don't get that often anymore. Right, right. Your your pastrami sandwiches have have withered away and have gone moldy. And Lanza's got a track record now. And if you're not believing Lanza, I don't know what to tell you. I, I really don't. Um, so that is tweet number one. Then tweet number two. 
Even Hideki Suzuki um, used uh, his Twitter because, of course, Hideki Suzuki wants to get um, Twitter tagged in random questions to a New Japan podcast. Even Hideki Suzuki called them out after they clammed. He was unprofessional, even though he never was to begin. So question is here below. So let's go to business if you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to say. Do, do you know what he's trying to say, Joel? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. So that, that is your second question um, addressed. Or technically your second comment, because then we have tweet number three, um, which is declared as the first question. First question, since you killed this, you killed for this to happen, to point even tweet about this, which is Thogut's on Good Brothers return to WWE and their NJBW run. Do you guys, them returning NJBW was mistake or had its up and down moments? Thoughts on that since you killed to talk about this subject. Um, I think we covered this already about the Good Brothers and that it probably wasn't the greatest idea to bring them back, but it is what it is. And hey, good riddance to bad rubbish, them going back to WWE. But hey, if Hunter called me up tomorrow and offered me probably a stupid bag of money to, to show up, I'll do it. I'd... I'd I'm there with Carl. I'm all about the money. And I don't have like a hot Asian wife or a hot Asian husband, four kid, kids and a second pool I want to build and I'll take the money. So, you know, good on them for taking the money. Second question kind of relates to Ren and NJPW world TV title thing. Even saw a guy calling out the tour being old instead of younger people with overall age of 37. If I'm correct, two pods ago, you and Damon said that NJPW needs fresh blood in every area possible. Now, this is one of three. Two of three is with the Ibushi. Just make a tweet, Fred, my dude. Why are they separate <laughs> tweet? You just reply to the same tweet, my friend. Right. So that was one of three. Two of three, with the Ibushi Kikuchi situation, then Gato being ousted from the booking by Dick Togo, this whole IGW, WHC slash NJPW World, T World TV instead of IWGP, HY, and IC. So I'm going to ask controversial question you touched before, unless Booze wants block or dodge the question, but I'm still asking. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Oh, shots fired. Careful what you wish for, son. Um, then three of three, this question, which is, and is controversial given the situations that I pointed, do you guys feel that NJPW needs new owners, you know, like Noah got from Ledet, Ledet, or Ledet to cyber agent and Newcastle United got from Mike Ashley to Saudi Arabia. I asked because Thogot, your question was interesting. <laughs> Okay. So, 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 so you're proposing that we do, do we think New Japan should be sold to the Saudis? <laughs> what? Uh, what? New Japan's going to be like the new Live Tour? Is is that it? I I I, I what? Look, I, I think we know where the Saudis where their alliances lie in terms of right. what they like in professional wrestling. Right. They, they they've already they've already they've already got a promotion. They don't they don't need to buy a second. They've got one. Um. So let's go to the one of three. We've already dressed Ren and the, the engine of WP world TV title. And, you know, I definitely went off on my thoughts of, I think they missed a trick by having a majority of older guys in it. Um, 
I'm not even sure what this second question is, is actually what this, this two of three is actually asking or what I'm blocking. Is it just part of like a, a larger question? Is it just saying, do you think New Japan needs new owners? I mean, it, Bushi Road, I think are perfectly fine owners. They've put a load of money into it. I think Bushi Road has been great for New Japan. Yeah, I'm not, because the question is, if you don't want Bushi Road, who who do you want buying New Japan? Like, do do you have somebody in mind? Um, I, I'm not sure what what. I, I don't think any of those issues that he's brought up there are directly because of Bushi Road. I don't think we're anything to do with those decisions. Right. Um, with the, I'm trying to figure out what what question I'm I'm supposed to be blocking or dodging. Uh, because I addressed my thoughts on the whole Ibushi Kikuchi, the official situation. Last time I was on with Damon, um, I think we what, talked about that for a good 20, 30 minutes. Then Gato being ousted from booking by Dick Togo. I don't think Gato's been ousted, right? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think yeah, that's... That fact now. I, I don't think that's happening. Um, and I know, and a side question on this, and this is actually coming from me, I know you, Joel, had tweeted and had talked about a little bit, and I think some other people were talking about this after Declaration of Power, the feeling that there was maybe a new voice at, at, at the booking table. Did, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. And, and this is no sort of pastrami sandwich or anything. It just, it felt different. There's just the introduction of a new title and just little things like the uh, mystery tag match thing coming up at uh, battle or to whatever the show's called, just little things like that, that made me think it feels a little bit different. It feels like there might've been, someone new in the room who's come up with this idea and they said, okay, right. You can be responsible for this. You're responsible for the TV title booking off you go. Uh, so I'm not saying that the whole booking committee has been overhauled. It just, it felt a little bit different. Cause to me, it, it really didn't. The overall vibe of declaration of power to me felt like a King of pro wrestling, November sumo, October sumo hall show before the pandemic. It had that overall vibe to me. And then with the the TV title, it I, I I would I would be in line with you more if we had different people in the tournament. But it's the same group of people that we see in every tournament. You know, Sonata was in the King of Pro Wrestling tournament. Um, I think Taichi was in the King of Pro Wrestling tournament. I mean, it, it it was this it's the same group of characters with a couple of, of new faces to kind of, to maybe throw us off the scent. Right. Um, but it, it, there wasn't enough in the, in, in so far in the four matches I've seen as well, there's not enough to make me, and this is, you know, personally think that there's any new voice at the table. I think it's just TV Asahi going, Hey, um, our 50th anniversary is coming up with you guys. We want to have a belt. And they went, okay, because are you going to tell TV, Asa- TV Asahi no? You're not going to do that. So, all right, here's a belt. We got to book it because we got to keep them happy. We're just going to put all the old usual favorites in the tournament and then we'll throw Ren in there because he's coming back. And everybody likes Alex Zane and we want to have him back for another tour. So we'll put him in there and we'll do that. Um, so that was just kind of a side. No, it's a fair point. You've taught me out of it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to Antonio's point of Gato being ousted from the booking by Dick Togo. No, Gato is still there. Um, I have no doubt 
that Gator was still there. And obviously, well, rumors he's been reading over at Voices of Wrestling, I see. Right. Um, and then, oh, by the way, because we can say this now, I was one of the five people that fucking knew about Kikuchi before it finally came the fuck out in what was it, Vo or, or, or Juan, either Dave or Joe broke the existence of Kikuchi. But when Damon said there was like one of like about five or six people that he told about Kikuchi, yeah, Antonio, I was one of those five. So, and I am fully in considering everything that I've been told about Kikuchi. Yeah, that dude exists. And that dude does what Joel and Damon say he does. I have no doubt of that. So, yeah, thanks, son. Um, outside of that, I don't know what, what else I'm supposed to be blocking or dodging. Um, because, again, I've, I talked about Ibushi and Kikuchi um, last time I was on. And there's really nothing, nothing new at this point. It's just Ibushi taking, um, like, peak golden lover Fujoshi um, bait photos with Kenny. That that that's the only new thing. Which hey, my guy, if Kenny wrote you a check, um, and you want to start going down that road again, hey, you're a grown ass man. Go do it. Get get that t-shirt money from Kenny and uh, go live your best life and and piss some people off and go have fun. Um, and then yeah, Bushi, yeah, new owners for Bushi Road. No, because honestly, let's remember, if it wasn't for Kadani and Bushi Road, we wouldn't have New Japan at a 50th anniversary, probably. Right? Let's be honest. Yeah, correct. It sounded well. We they were in a lot of trouble. They were in a real sticky situation before Bushiro came and took over. And by all accounts, I think uh, right at that ship. So yeah. So I'm not. I'm not sure what other options are out there. There probably are. You know, there's probably like an Elon Musk that's got a stupid ton of money. Um, but would they be in terms of actually running things the right person? Probably not, because just because you got a ton of money doesn't mean you're the right person to actually run a particular business. Just means you got a lot of money. Doesn't mean you got a lot of sense. And, you know, the pan. Maybe North Korea want to get involved. Oh, yeah. Again. Well, hey, why not? That, that could be the ultimate Inoki tribute is, is North Korea becoming um, owners of some level of New Japan. Let's, let, let, let's go send a text to Kim Jong un and see if we can make that happen. When he's not launching, when, when he's not launching rockets over New Japan, he can uh, over Japan as a country. He can be, you know, a partial owner of New Japan, and show up and, and be like a, a Vince McMahon character, and cut heel promos. It'll be great. Sign me the fuck up. Oh my lord! All right, thank you so much, Booze. You have been awesome. Anything you want to plug before we get out of here? No, no. I mean, follow me on Twitter. Um, Y'all should have my Twitter handle at this point, B-O, the numeral zero, Z-E, Leprechaun. Um, There you'll get some sumo thoughts, some New Japan thoughts. I've been seriously diving into the world of uh, tokusatsu. So if you're into like Kamen Rider and Super Sentai series and Gato and Ultraman, and you just want somebody to talk to or just to follow as I kind of start dipping, as I continue to dip my toes into different portions of those franchises i fully welcome that um and good news i finally got my common rider kuga blu-ray so um that national nightmare is over and 
y'all are stopped seeing. Phew. Oh, it's sweating over oh, that it, one. It, it was pretty brutal. It took about two weeks, and I was at the point where I was tweeting every day my anger about the fact that I pre-ordered this Blu-ray, and I could have saved 10 bucks and had it way sooner if I just waited for it to officially drop and got it from Amazon, as opposed to ordering it directly from Shout Factory. I was not amused. I was not amused at all. I was very angry. Uh, because I'm irrational like that. So why the fuck not? So, but outside of that, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much the main place to uh, get with me. And then also I sling cigars. Um, I'm a part-time barista. So, you know, I can always uh, help you out with cigars as well, as long as you're 21 or over. There we go. A woman of many, many talents. Uh, Thank you once again, booze. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure as always. So redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash J dash cast. If you want to throw some money our way, always appreciate that. Discord link you can get if you direct message me on Twitter with Booze's permission. I have to run it past the boss first to check that uh, there's nothing untoward going on with uh, various uh, duplicate accounts. We'll say no more about that. Uh, at Cobra Kawaii and ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash SuperJCast if you want to get one of our t-shirts. Big thanks to Editor Dan. You can find him on Twitter at LousyHero219. Subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network for other great shows. Give us a five-snake review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at SuperJCast. Thank you everyone for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.